They hate. They hate. They hate. They hate. They hate because they fear. They hate because they fear. Because they fear. Because they fear. And they fear because they feel that the deepest feelings of their lives are being assaulted and outraged. They do not know why. They are powerless pawns. Powerless pawns. They are powerless pawns in a blind play of social forces. Richard Wright. Dr. Sean Dubin, 18 August 1998. Initial interview with Madeline McGlynn, 76 years of age, resident of Shenandoah Valley State Prison, inmate number 529021. They're all disappearing. Maple, oak, sycamore, spruce. My son Howard, who lives with me, bless his heart, says they're not. He says they're there. He says I don't pay attention because I'm not the one driving, and he is. That's all I do is pay attention. I know every turn. Right on oak, right on roan, left on saguaro, which I don't think is even a tree, and right on maple, which turns into Maine, which is where Dr. Bailey's office is. From Mauhaus Productions, A Blind Play of Social Forces, Episode 19, Signs. Dr. Bailey says it doesn't surprise him that the signs are being stolen. He says it's kids. Howard says the signs are still there and even points at the one at the corner of Spruce and Juniper. But I tell him it's the Spruce Walnut signs that disappeared. When I used to walk everywhere, there was a little boy who sold lemonade at the corner of Spruce and Walnut. You knew you were on Walnut even if you didn't see the sign because the sidewalks were stained brown. (laughs) What a thought. A clever, clever thought. Streets named after trees and those same trees lining the streets. I'm serious. I think it's clever. Howard and I used to take long walks together while his daddy was at work. We'd collect leaves from all over the neighborhood. I had this book of poetry by a woman, and something, must not have read it much, where I flattened all my leaves and needles. Howard says he doesn't know where it is, but I suspect he threw it out when my husband passed. Dr. Bailey says it's for the best, because I got very emotional when Howard Sr. left us. 
Of course I got emotional. We'd been married 35 years. Howard, my husband, had been married prior, but that didn't work out. 35 years, though, I guess that's pretty good. My mother didn't think I'd ever get married. She said that no man would want a woman whose mind was full of fantasies. I told her the opposite was true, and I proved that when I met Howard. I actually knew Howard before I met Howard. His first wife, a terrible yellow-haired woman and a lousy housekeeper, had hired me to clean. I was cleaning houses back then to earn money for acting lessons. Mother said I would never be an actress with my crooked nose and stringy hair, but I had learned early to take all of Mother's insults as a challenge to improve myself. I read that in a book. She hired me to clean, even though she stayed home with their son. And can you believe she even asked me to take that child on walks just to get him out of the house? I wanted to tell her she could use a walk herself, but then I would have been in her house alone. To tell you the truth, those walks ended up being my favorite part of the job. Anyhow, the first wife had hired me to clean, and I did. Made that place gleam. I've always loved the smell of ammonia, oh, don't ask me why, and it doesn't burn my eyes like it does most people's. It shines a floor and takes the stench of stale cigarette smoke out of the air. That's how I met Howard. He had come home from work early. Migraine headache, poor thing, and walked right into a wall of ammonia. I guess I was immune, like those people who can eat poison because they've exposed themselves to it for so long. Howard hit the floor like a sack of potatoes. I know saying sack of potatoes is gauche, but I love the way it sounds. Sack of potatoes. I carried him, or pulled him really, to the couch and fanned him. I could still see the way his hair fluttered when the tiny gust of wind from my lips hit it. And those eyelashes. <laughs> I told Howard they were like Venus flytraps for catching women. I dare not attempt to give him CPR, not just because I wasn't trained, but because what if that woman walked in and thought I was kissing her husband? Just a little kiss, a peck, a tap, really. I am a lady, but I used to be a little girl, and I had watched Sleeping Beauty and Snow White. Well, let's just say a few times. I would have been remiss had I not attempted to wake him with true love's kiss. He was completely innocent, but you wouldn't think so by the look on that little boy's face. Despite all I had done for him, walking him across the world and back, telling him the names of all the trees, her offspring must have told her that I kissed Howard because I was dismissed. What is a young woman with no gainful employment to do but take long walks? Oh, maybe there's plenty to do, but I preferred to walk. They all seemed so young then, the trees, thin and fragile, standing like scared children on the curb. The sidewalks along Walnut were not yet stained. I can remember so vividly standing by a walnut tree, looking toward the line of spruces, the two seeming so foreign to one another. 
Even from the street, one could see that house was already in disarray. I could smell the dust collecting, and when Howard would pull in the driveway in the afternoons, he'd wear this look of resignation, no, no despair, and trudge into the house. What could be sadder than a loveless marriage? One afternoon, on one of my walks, I saw that Howard's car was in the driveway. I had been meaning to return some jewelry that I had taken home to clean. That woman had no decent polishing powders, so I took that as an opportunity. If we don't take opportunities when they arise, we may as well be given none at all. Howard didn't recognize me. I had just gotten my hair done and was newly blonde. I reminded him that I used to clean his house, that I had practically saved his life, and I had come on a delivery. He told me he was married, which was an odd thing to say since I was standing there with his wife's gaudy bracelets. Appearing at his hip was her little urchin, cake-faced and sneering. Howard said I needed to go, but he didn't take the jewelry. At first I was affronted, but on the walk home after much deliberation, I realized what was happening. Howard wanted me to return at a more appropriate time. I've always preferred walking to driving. I'm glad Howard Jr. drives me. Well, drove me to the doctor, even though riding in his van is like taking the bus, a truly dreadful mode of transportation. That Saturday, though, for some reason, I wanted to go for a drive. Mother rarely drove her Plymouth, and I could see why the second I pulled out of the drive. Unwieldy and stiff, it was like driving a dining room table. There they were, mother and child, hawking saccharine lemon water. As I neared Spruce, I started thinking about how those trees just didn't seem compatible. Giants marching toward pygmies. I suppose I got lost in that image. The real tragedy is that in his moment of greatest despair... Howard's wife left him. I tell Howard Jr. all of this on our rides to Dr. Bailey's. He's old enough to know that love is complicated and sometimes painful. One day he'll meet a woman and they'll fall in love, I tell him. It may not be the fairy tale romance his parents lived, but Howard is a sensitive boy, so I see plenty of passion in his future. He gets so anxious and confused when I talk to him about love. He says he doesn't believe in marriage. He asks me what I know about marriage. He calls me by my first name and asks to be called George. George isn't even his middle name. He's been so moody since his father passed. I should be more understanding. I tell him that maybe he needs to go see Dr. Bailey. On our last trip, I told him that he wouldn't be talking like that if his father were alive. He turned on the radio and refused to speak to me, just like his father. 
I'd been reading about the accident in the paper. Child killed and mother in critical condition when mother came in furious about some marks on the hood of her car. She told me that if I couldn't take proper care of an automobile, I had no right driving it. I told her that was perfectly fine with me. You know that Plymouth sat in the garage until Mother died. That afternoon, I hand-delivered a basket of homemade sweets to my poor, grieving Howard. The second he opened the door, I could see the look of relief on his face. Not of seeing me, but of finally being free. Maybe a little of both. She hadn't left him yet, but she was in the hospital downtown. He took my basket and began to shut the door, but when I said his name, he stopped. I asked him if I could come in, and he walked away, leaving the door open as an invitation. It was shocking, really, how that house had fallen into disrepair since she let me go. One could feel the dust settling on one's skin. The whole place reeked of perfume deodorizers. Howard was on the sofa, examining an empty bottle. Men turn to sin when they need to let love in. I read that in a book. It was our first embrace. My small arms wrapped tightly around Howard's broad shoulders. He cried, those years of loneliness, and now a chance for a new beginning. I spent the next six months planning the wedding. Mother said she had never seen me so excited. She said she couldn't wait to meet this mystery man who'd won her daughter's heart. I knew she just wanted to be rid of me, but... I played dumb and received her false support as support. Howard Jr., should I say George, hates hearing about the wedding. He bristles and grunts. How can a boy raised by two romantic parents turn out so prosaic? That was the word of the day on Dr. Bailey's calendar last month. I've been using it ever since. Prosaic describes so much these days. Just this morning, or maybe it was last week, Howard Jr. had the gall to call my stories lies, only he used the coarse vernacular. It hurts my heart that my own son would say such things, but I am a loving mother, so I pointed out how much the stains from the walnuts looked like dried blood all over the sidewalk. He said I was sick, and I told him that's why I was going to see Dr. Bailey. I suppose he gets some of that skepticism from me. There were days when I didn't think Howard wanted to marry me. Men have that way of revealing everything without saying anything, but when you know someone as well as I knew Howard, there are no secrets. He had just gotten back from seeing his first wife. As usual, he was spent, but he looked so smart in that black suit. I met him in the driveway with an arrangement of flowers I wanted to show him. I knew in the end it would be my decision, but I wanted Howard to feel like he was part of the process. I asked him if he liked the flowers. He said yes. What else was he going to say? Then he took the flowers and said thank you. When I told him no, silly, they're for the wedding, 
He got angry and told me I needed to leave. I forgave him before I was out of the driveway, but I knew it was because of her. Maybe Howard wasn't ready to get remarried. Before Dr. Bailey, long before really, I went to Dr. Adams. She didn't like me very much, and it seemed like she liked me even less the more I talked about Howard. As if she, she had never been married, poor thing, was jealous. Now that I think about it, that visit to Dr. Adams was my last one, and a good thing, too. She'd been chiding me for not taking my medication properly, and I was telling her that I had been. This was a fib, of course. Those pills made my stomach hurt, and I told her as much. Only I said I had been taking them dutifully. I told her that Howard was getting nervous about the wedding, and she said my new prescription would knock me out, so I was only to take it at night. Then she had the gall to tell Mother the same thing, as if I wasn't responsible enough. I was planning the celebration du cycle. It's funny how one's action can set in motion a series of events that change everything. It's a grand reminder of how small we are in this vast universe. In my case, the one action that moved the planets was the baking of one batch of brownies. Blondies, if you're really interested, but I digress. I wanted Howard to come home from work to a sweet treat on his doorstep. A beribboned basket, a curious note, and a shift in the cosmos. His love watching from across the street. And I'm not saying I didn't carve our initials into the trunk of one of the walnut trees. Howard Jr. has never stopped to let me see if the HB plus MM is still there. Howard was asleep when I sneaked in to surprise him. Poor dear, didn't even make it to his bed. The sofa either, for that matter. Lying there in the dark on the kitchen floor, he looked like Daddy. Let him sleep it off, Mother would say. <laughs> I wasn't going to let my Howard sleep. I may have gotten a wee bit too amorous with my kiss to wake the sleeping beauty, but I don't think Howard minded. I know he didn't. Oh, it brought me back to that first kiss. It was all too perfect. They say that you need to confess your sins to be forgiven and that engaging in relations before marriage is a sin, but, but I say that if two people are deeply in love, and ought to be married anyhow, when that marriage is consummated is of no importance. Ceremony is for the attendees, not the lovers. Therefore, I am not ashamed to say that after Howard and I made love, we agreed to conduct our wedding privately, right there in his kitchen, with God and the refrigerator as the only witnesses. Howard even swore to me that he would not gaze upon another woman as long as he was alive on this earth. And you may not believe it, but he kept that promise. My Howard. My Prince. I won't even pretend to understand how corporations and mergers and, well, business in general operates. Networks, providers, blah, blah. I do know they won't let me see Dr. Bailey anymore. Something about 
contracting with outside providers, in-facility care. Sounds dubious or devious, one of the two. No, Dr. Bailey means no rides with Howard Jr. Means no more beautiful trees. Maybe that's why the signs started vanishing. They knew before I did. But you seem like a nice man, and you let me run off at the mouth. And now you know all my secrets. A lady never tells all her secrets, but you know the ones I'll let you know. I wanted to ask you. Oh, no, it's ridiculous. Silly, really. Oh, what the heck. Do you... I mean, would you mind if I called you Dr. Bailey? It just makes me feel more comfortable. Dr. Howard Bailey. I like the sound of that. Ms. McGlynn's delusions are consistent with those reported by Drs. Adams and Baker. She maintains her innocence and seems blissfully unaware of her involvement in the deaths of Howard Bailey, his wife Agnes, and their ten-year-old son Wyatt. She shows no tendencies towards violence and has, with few exceptions according to her files, maintained a strict antipsychotic medication regimen of alloperidol, five milligrams, lorazepam, 2 mg, and diphenhydramine, 50 mg. It is my recommendation that due to her age and length of residency, Ms. McGlenn remain confined to the Shenandoah Valley State Prison for the remainder of her sentence. Madeline McGlynn of Evans County was arrested this morning for the murder by poisoning of Howard Bailey, a local insurance salesman and Little League coach whose son was killed earlier this year in a hit-and-run. Bailey's wife, Agnes, also a victim of the hit-and-run, remains in a coma in Briarfield Hospital. Police are investigating whether Ms. McGlynn was driving the car that hit the mother and son. Action News 6 will be following the story as it unfolds. Signs was written and directed by Michael Mao and stars Trudy Leonard as Madeline McGlynn. 
Music for this episode by Mark Corominas. Trevor Tremaine composed the theme music. Geneva Hicks created the podcast cover art. Additional sound effects, courtesy of Pixabay. Writer, comedian, and actor Nina Dicker helped produce this episode. Her memoir, Tangerine Vagina, is now available for public consumption. Special thanks to Assistant Casting Director Annie Weaver. You can find out more about our cast and crew at ablindplaypodcast.com or on Instagram at Mauhouse Productions. That's M-A-U-H-A-U-S Productions. You can also head over to tpublic.com slash Mauhouse for some great pod swag, including so many kitty cat shirts. Next week on A Blind Play of Social Forces, episode 20, 10 Seconds. Standing at any spot on the equator, a human being will advance 2.7 miles in 10 seconds. While he makes this journey without moving, about 41 people will be born in the world. These trivial facts do not concern Harris Arlington, manning the mini donut machine, which will churn out seven donuts in this time. To Harris Arlington, these 10 seconds are of no consequence, at least not to his knowledge. It is 3 a.m., and Harris has two more hours left of his shift at Homer's Donuts. Until next week.